0: I got I got um, negative feedback on my performance appraisal one time for writing a memo that suggested that someday there would be a computer at everyone's desk, <laughs> and I was con- I was accused of being inflammatory. Oh wow! Um, and uh, I remember, yeah, I still know who that guy was. was. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast with your host Charles Cantu founder and CEO of Reset Digital. I'm Mike Burbridge, Senior Director of Marketing Futures and the producer of this podcast. This week, we're talking with an innovation-heavy hitter, Ted McConnell, SVP of Business Development at Lucid, about his decade spanning career in delivering meaningful change within organizations. Ted shared the challenges innovators face working in big brands and what leadership can do to support them. He also discussed the challenges in balancing consumer data privacy with optimized advertising and how playing with music synthesizers helped him understand data and technology.
2: Ted, you know, today's a special day for me because I I consider you one of my um, gurus among gurus, but geniuses among geniuses. And I don't, I don't um, say that lightly because I know a lot of really smart people. But I. But what's interesting about you is you have all these different facets. So, so what I'd like to do is maybe just give a little. You can give a little of your background from you know music to PNG to where you are today and kind of some of the stuff so people get like a, a virtual resume
0: of sorts from you. I actually attribute a lot of my success to music, mm-hmm. um, and it's. I, when I was at Saint Lawrence University as a music major, when synthesizers came out, <laughs> and so here's this machine, right? Mm-hmm. And if it makes, it makes. I mean, they have pulse code generators and all that, you know, pu- pulse yep. and envelope generators, and and you know, what's a bit look like? Well, a bit's an envelope, you know, right? Yep. And so all of a sudden, you can visualize what bits are like. <laughs> Because you can, and you can program them at different speeds, and they can be square waves, or they can be LFOs, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever you want, you're So I began, and then then I transferred in order to be, to assure that I would have a job someday to become a business major, Mm -hmm. and got into programming computers, and all those same ideas applied of bits kind of interleaving with each other and being superimposed and filtered out and and I mean that was back in the day, you know, when when uh programming was pretty pretty basic. But pretty, I got the computers because of the synthesizers. And then communications as well, which is just bits going down a wire. Yeah. And um or actually it's almost like a bad concept. They're not actually traveling through a wire. The wire is in a state or it used to be
2: that way. Yeah, yeah. And and t- tell us a little bit. Um, I do want to drill into the, to the music a little bit in the sense that you've got a lot of credits under your belt. And and so can you t- maybe tell us? You were telling me a story once about rhythms and drum beats when we were in um, we were in the French Quarter, swapping stories, and you were telling me um, a story about one of the best percussionists you've ever met.
0: Oh yeah. Well, polyrhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, well this was one of my a guy I always used in the studio mm-hmm. was a student of Dave Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. And uh, Garibaldi founded Tower of Power. hmm
2: Out of and, Oakland. And he lived in LA and took gentlemen. lessons from
0: Dave. <laughs> right. And uh, he said Dave Dave would scream at him. He you know, his tower over him, he's sitting at the drum sitting at the drum set. Dave is sitting, screaming, and what Tim is trying to do is his assignment is play 6-8 with his feet and 14-6 with his hands, or something (laughs) like that, which is pretty much impossible, but it's how you become a polyrhythmist. And and, uh, anyway, so Tim said, who's one of the toughest people I ever met in my life, told me that he would, like, basically cry. (laughs) (laughs) And um, but you know that all rhythms are polyrhythms according to according to Garibaldi.
2: So so maybe talk a little bit about um, what you were doing at PNG prior to starting Hawkeye because you were early adopter, kind of ahead of the industry in a, in regard to programmatic. But you were doing other stuff there, um, securing pre- patents and and product stuff.
0: Yeah, I guess I'd rather be lucky than, you know, smart. Um, <laughs> I came into technology early. Mm-hmm. I was pretty successful for reasons I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because I was inherently rude and goal-oriented. And <laughs> uh, the uh, I ended up running global communications, yeah. which was a pretty big job for which I was utterly unqualified. I kept getting promoted because they always promote you to a and make you do a thing that you're bad at. Mm,
3: mm -hmm. And, you
0: know, I just, I was really bad at being an administrator, and I was Mm. great at being a... So eventually, they figured that out, and I ended up as staff to the CIO. Mm. And then, in about 1994, along comes this thing called the Internet, and my boss called me into his office, and he said, Ted, we need you on the company's biggest problem, which is there's this thing called the Internet... And it's going to be big in marketing. I don't know how. We don't even we don't even know what to do. Like, should we build a website? You know, shall we? <laughs> is this what's on those websites? they right? You know, and um, it's going to be different because we're going to be people and individuals, and somehow we got to know. So he says, "I'm giving you five million dollars a year. Go, st- you know, hire your your favorite, you know, ten people. And come back in, you know, and." Tell us the company, and, and and so right, what to do, and 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 oh, by the way, Domini, 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 you're a marketer now. Okay. <laughs> a- anyway, that's that. I became, from then on. I was the, basically the, the the head of marketing innovation,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and then right on through to when I left, and and Hawkeye. Was an idea. We got to a point where we had 1,700 websites, mm-hmm. and all the brands had wonderful digital marketing managers who were technologists who knew marketing. Mm-hmm. And, uh,
2: and that was what, 08?
0: That, that was, yeah, yeah. I, I think we started Hawkeye in 08, and, and the hard part about that was convincing the media department that there was something wrong with what they were doing. Right. In other words, why change anything? Yeah,
2: everyone loves to hear that they're doing
0: something askew. This is one thing I learned. (laughs) This is a very important lesson. Every time you propose a change, you're insulting someone. Right.
2: (laughs) Because So true.
0: Because they were supposed to have it right. Right. And now you want to change it. So the only way, as a leader, you can prevent yourself from being embarrassed by the next new idea you didn't think of is to invite change to begin with, right? Right, and yeah. then you've ever you know the stars start to align. That's it. Um, so anyway, I began because I was the innovator. I also ran technology innovation mm-hmm. and communications innovation. You know, years before that in the eighties, and so I had a point of view. I was always the innovator, and, and I hated the title. And I hate it's like oh you know Ted's going to innovate. It's like no, I don't want to be. I want to make the business better. But I ended up with some very clear values about how you approach innovation, changing things, mm-hmm. and that is. And this came from a guy named Robert Scott, who was a guy that I revered and probably pissed off daily. <laughs> uh, who was a he's now a professor at the University of Michigan. He said innovation occurs when what's needed meets what's possible, right? And all these innovators, all these. You know, there's you know who they are. They're they're just annoying people who who talk big from stages.
2: Well, you see a million of them on yeah. LinkedIn now. Everybody's and, an innovator.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and they all I correct and they don't call out. They, they're usually more about what's possible than what's needed. But if you have something that's hmm. possible and it's not needed, then it's not going to be successful. Yeah. Uh, you know, so everyone catches up at their own speed with this stuff. And really, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. bringing people along is half the, half the battle.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's and getting you people about to... it because the innovators
0: out there in front and they've got the concept. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the possibilities sort of converge in a timeless way. The part of your brain that innovates doesn't understand time very well. Okay. So these great innovators, uh, Get this vision, and it for them, it's it's real and it's now, and they can't understand why other people don't get it. Yeah, and it's it's um, and so how do you take people like that who, in another world, would be considered to that you know they might be witches or something? You yeah, know, people who mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who uh, just had some idea that was so completely like whoa. That people would literally think the heretics, right? Mm-hmm. And how do you then embrace the heresy knowing that it might in fact be just stone cold wrong mm-hmm. and get that person to a place where they can bring people along? And to me, for leadership, that's the thing. Innovators don't get led. They're so used to leading that nobody leads them. But who holds their hand? Who brings them along, right? Right. Yeah, and and uh, I think this goes to diversity as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if if you know, you can broadly think about diversity as people who are very different than you in some in some way. That mm-hmm. lowers may lower your trust level, way in other, in other words. What does diversity do? It causes it causes mistrust or or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. across this boundary that we're trying to heal with the concept of mm-hmm. of. of but, you know, the idea of tolerating diversity has always to me been, been been a horrid concept. It sort of starts with the idea that it might be bad, right? Mm-hmm. And then how about embracing it? Oh, that's kind of equally kind of icky, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, go out and embrace someone who's different than you. It's like, okay, sounds good. But if we all just dealt in a world of ideas, none of it would be icky. We, we would all just deal with the ideas and the thoughts and the... Of each other in a yeah. way to to embrace them, mm-hmm. right?
2: Yeah, that's very Graves' sixth level thinking. Um, it's it's a we. It's an idea we had interviewed a, a, a gentleman, another mentor of mine. When you say who leads the innovators, it's folks like you and and uh, Mike Donahue and uh, you know Joseph Riggio and folks like that. At least for me in my world. But but the point that he was making, similar to yours, was. That on uh, the idea of diversity, um, calling out the differences and paying attention to the differences in general is somewhat pro- problematic. Now I know that that, that there will get some backlash for people that don't really understand where he's coming from from that sentiment, but in some ways that's that's true. Having you know, been a bi- biracial kid and a Mexican dad and a white mom and you know growing up black, it's you know I. I saw a lot less and therefore I called out a lot less and I, and I wonder if that made me a little more diverse, and it didn't mean that, or at least uh, forward thinking when it came to diversity. I wonder if the world is ready for that, right, still to this day. Let's talk a little bit about um, why Hawkeye at the time, you know, what, what problems were you solving? Um, then, because I think that's going to lead us down a, a, a data route of conversation.
0: Well, we we always had the, the idea that we should measure things, and, and and so what we had this idea that if you thought about every impression, you know, everybody thought about media as as bunches of stuff, and it was mm-hmm. all treated collectively. Yeah. And we thought, you know, what, if that's not true. You don't have to measure it that way anymore. And so this idea that we could measure in a census, we said, well, look. Every impression either goes to the right person or it doesn't, and it right. goes too many times to that person or it doesn't, or it ends up in the right country or it doesn't. Yep. And it's, and, we, and so we said, let's measure for every impression across 10 enormous campaigns mm-hmm. what percent, it, what is success? Success looks like, and this is what we said at the time, and we could have added to that. Right. Uh, but it was in country, at or below frequency, in target. And it had to satisfy all three of those to be productive impression, and we took tens of billions of impressions and mm-hmm. measured them using uh, Comscore, who had to develop the technology to do it, and mm-hmm. Jan Fogoni was like rooting for us, mm-hmm. and I <laughs> uh, came back that... Um, 92 percent of the media was basically wasted. Was did not satisfy those criteria. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the thing about in-target for package goods is that that's kind of a squishy concept because even if you miss, you know, the perfect like the Pantene girl, you know, that persona, yep. you're hitting likely you're hitting somebody who's got hair. So the cost right. of a of an impression in cpg that's off target is not it's not completely Completely wasted wasted, yeah but if you but if but if you're selling impressions to a a country that doesn't even sell the product (laughs) (laughs) well that's pretty much wasted and how about impressions five through two hundred going to the same user you know those are probably wasted too so, exactly. so, in other words, there was, there was just an enormous amount of waste. And most of it was, frankly, frequency waste. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, but there was a lot of just out of geo and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we said, well, how can we fix that? Well, we fix it by every time we serve an impressions, taking a cookie, saying, is it that, you know, right? And so mm-hmm. we said, and by the way, we have our own data, don't we? We have 1,700 websites. Those people are probably a good audience. They it turn out that they're okay, right? I mean, mm-hmm. and for most CPG websites, and I'm not saying this is PNG, I'm not giving away the store or anything. But, you know, most people go to a lot of people go to CPG websites to find coupons. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and people who want coupons are not the people you really want. I mean, they obviously already know about the brand, they like it.
2: Right, they want more of it. <laughs> they just it, want it, so it to cheaper. buy it cheaper. And so you're not
0: going to persuade them, right? Right. But still, it's the right kind of folks, and they're pretty quality, and they buy your brand. So why not, right? It's it's a pretty good, pretty good CPG audience. Mm-hmm. Is and and I think everybody does this now. They use first party data, right? Right. Anyway, so we said, so let's get as much data, amass as much data as we can. Mm-hmm. And target people who we know to be good in the right way and give the right impression to the right person, which is what, you know, we were always told we should do. Mm-hmm. And is in fact, a pretty good idea. <laughs> so uh, we built a system sort of cobbled together, I would say, with a lot of help. And then the agency turned out to be kind of the stopping, stumbling block because they had a way of doing it. Yeah, of and, course. Um, Everyone does. This was another way. <laughs> right. <laughs> and... Uh, they didn't like it, and and yeah. I, I wouldn't blame them. Yeah. But eventually, they all caught up, and you know they got trade desks and all that junk now. So it, it took them a while, but we got there first, and in the process, probably saved billions of dollars, I'm sure. Yeah. But I left after a while because there was nothing that was not that much new going on, mm-hmm. and you um, know I just decided to find something more. Uh, Enlightening, what would I call it? Stimulating.
2: And you, and, and so you. I mean, you've done work with you know that stimulating work was with you know folks like uh, Moat, um, who sold to Oracle and, and was Rocket, right? Rocket Fuel, and so. Yep. Um, you know, you, and and Dish. I
0: built the Dish Exchange along yep. the way, which mm-hmm. was the first impression by impression TV. Yeah. And uh, ad you know ad sales and uh, anyway so yes it's been bouncing around you mm-hmm. know basically promoting programmatic and trying to make the, the a better advertising I really believe that computers can make it make better media mm-hmm. and as it turns out you know it's like a guns guns made you know guns were very good in the Wild West because you could kill a buffalo and feed your family, mm-hmm. but they could also be pointed at you. <laughs> <laughs> and technology is the same way, right? And technology mm-hmm. is is a gun that uh, that can be used against the good guys. Yeah, and uh, but it's the same gun. That's right. And um, and so it's not like, and so it's really the people. Mm-hmm. Right, so I write about this a lot in my column. Mm-hmm. I write about this idea that stop blaming the technology and start blaming the people. Yeah, you know, exactly. It's kind of like it's bad guys, okay? Right, You're stealing money. What What more do you need to know? That's right. Uh, and, and
2: laughing all the way. To the and bank.
0: La- and laughing all the way to the bank. And then when we get into these little tiffs where you know my bot tag is better than your bot tag, and that becomes the dialogue.
3: The
0: bad guys, <laughs> bad guys are celebrating. They're going. They're going like, oh, excellent. Fight among yourselves, please. When Meanwhile, I'm, you know.
2: I'll make a couple more billion.
0: I'll make a couple more billion while you all fight it out among yourselves. I mean, you know, people got to, I mean, the industry has to just come to grips with the fact that there are bad guys. They do, they are technically bad ass.
1: They are really,
0: really smart. Yeah. They're smarter Diabolical. Than me and they're smarter yep. than you, I think. Okay, no no offense or anything, but but they they are freaking brilliant. They ripped off the CIA for God's sake, right? <laughs> they stole data from the CIA. Yeah. And everybody else. They they there's almost no way to counter this except via Now China's done a really good job. In order to do that, they had to basically remove personal freedom. Okay? So this is a classic Case of security versus security versus freedoms. It's a balance that, that, that upon which all political systems kind of rest. And the, the free internet people are the ones who are basically saying, yeah, keep it all open and open borders, and you know, don't secure at the, the device level. You know, I I want to put, I love China's solution, stick big old servers at every point at which a bit can enter the United States and see if there's anything funny going on inside the pipes. Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will that fix it. No, but it would be a hell of a deterrent. And it would give you options.
3: Right. right.
0: Well, the military could then stop cyber attacks the minute they started if they were coming from outside. Yeah. And then once they come from inside, you've got a huge advantage, which is you have rule of law mm-hmm. inside the US you can use for discovery. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's a. Uh, I, I fall on the side of eliminate a little bit of personal freedom in order to get a lot more productivity out of the internet. Yeah. And um, which is kind of what China did. Yeah. yeah. In controlling, and putting. Their own servers, government controlled, which you could call that military, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, the military built the highways. Why can't it build the highway too? Well, that's the point. It's infrastructure, right? (laughs) It's infrastructure. Yeah. And so, you know, and so, you know, I don't care if they look at the bits that are flowing back and forth because I'm not the kind of person who feels like they need the right to install viruses on everyone's computers. you know, and it's like, mm-hmm. if you want to install systems, it's not that, that. Also, you know, with the Internet of Things, your refrigerator, I literally know a guy who found a virus in his refrigerator, okay? <laughs> it, was it was part of the, because it's an IoT. And so, so you know, here's code, it's running, it's talking to the Internet, it happens mm-hmm. to be living in your refrigerator or your washing machine.
3: Yeah.
0: What are you going to do? Okay. The only way to solve that problem is to get a license to drive on the, the highway the, the the information highway and you got to be sec- certified not to have a virus does it mean people won't drive without licenses they will Don't drive without licenses That's but you've got a system in play that can begin to get control of this because it's way way out of control right
2: now. speaking about a control so that that leads to you know the, the a lot of the folks that um that built the infrastructure that we're working off of today, especially ad tech. Um, you know, we, we found where the situation is for ad tech and all the nefarious activity, as you discussed. And it might be good to segue into um, target density. You wrote an article on target density. You've wrote a couple of articles at this point and even broken it down into a box of cereal. So maybe, maybe the listeners who haven't read your article can hear a little bit about what you're thinking.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I'm on data quality now. That's what I've been working on because I think it's really important. We yeah. have a twenty billion dollar economy in data. A lot of that's activation services, but mm-hmm. ten billion in just roughly, I think, in data being bought and sold. Yep. So I want to sell you a thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And here it is. Okay. Look. See it? Oh, sorry. You can't see it. That's all right. Pay me anyway. <laughs> um, and and so. I and it's a long story how I got involved in this particular thing, mm-hmm. but it involves Lucid and and Lucid. It, it was basically this: okay, a segment is a thing or a campaign goal. It's mm-hmm. the same. It's basically supposed to have an audience. It is an audience: Spanish speakers, females, auto intenders, flat screen TV buyers. There's there's two three hundred thousand. Segments for sale in marketplaces around the you know around right yeah many of these are attitudes in other words intention is an attitude interest is an attitude an attitude is a thing that's in your head it cannot be discerned much by observation right Mm -hmm. I can't tell what you're thinking right now Mm -hmm. Um, you know I might well. I won't go there. But how do you find out what an attitude is, right? What do you, what, what's your attitude? There's only one way. There's really only one possible way, and that is to ask you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't tell me what's in your head. Nobody else can. Now, sometimes you'll do things that indicate an attitude, yeah. and that's why we have behavioral targeting, because you behave, and we say, oh, they went to an auto site, therefore they want to buy a car. It's like, whoop, stop. That's an inference. That says, I think you might want to buy a car. Well, you know what? It's not a bad idea. If you're gonna, if you're going to be sending out media to people, mm-hmm. so I went out and found the largest research platform on the planet by far, which is Lucid. Everybody mm-hmm. uses Lucid. They're like the shovels and blue jeans of research. Yep. And they provide sample two million people a day. Mm-hmm. To the entire research industry, and these people are coming from panels. They are being compensated. We Lucid helps figure out the compensation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we what we built was a way of connecting audience definition, which are segments, or even an audience definition can be retrospective. It can be you fire a pixel on an impression, and then you later on figure out.
2: Right, smarter data. So talk to
0: that. So yep. we figured out a way to talk to a cookie, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's pretty impressive, right? So now I can take a cookie that's auto-intenders, and I can literally ask them, do you really want to buy a car?
3: You sure about that?
0: Yeah, yeah right, and I don't actually ask them that quite like that. They have to pick from a big list yep. that we call a smokescreen. Mm-hmm. But it's a methodology that, that's validated, and now you can know... now. Um, and we sell that, we're starting to sell that. Mm -hmm. And it's a, um, like as in, as with all new measures, there's some people who are celebrating and some people who are scared to death. Yeah. Some people, the people who are scared are the people who think the news might be not so good for them (laughs) and the people who are, Happy are the people who just want to know the truth regardless. Right. That would be the advertisers generally. Although it's not always true with advertisers. Because remember, there is a regime in every advertiser that buys media and buys data. And what if it comes out that the data they've been buying sucks? So... Uh, in any case, we're doing that. We're measuring it. I think the best measurement folks around the ARF, uh, Oracle's uh, top data science team—they're all saying, "Yep, this is this is good. This is this is happening."
2: Yeah, because I was to say, if you can measure it, you can start to manage it.
0: That's right, right. And, that's and that's the right. key. It's total quality. It's like a yep. KPI. And you know, the way you fix almost anything in this crazy mixed-up world is you get a KPI and you make it go up. I once had a great manager. PG, who came in, he was assigned, he was an executive. He didn't know anything about digital. He had run care in the US, you know, a $10 billion brand or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he said, Look, and he comes into the team meeting and he goes, Look, I don't know anything about this, but I do know that, that the only way I know how to manage a business is to find a number and make it go up. Okay, <laughs> so let's talk about what that number is going to be. And, and what I think is, that, uh, and I should give credit to that, to Alex Tussellini, but um, you probably didn't remember saying it, <laughs> uh, but it was brilliant, and, and it's the way that you do it. Yeah. And, and this idea of the density, how many people mm-hmm. in the segment, as a percentage of your reach, were the people who you thought they were, that's the KPI that we need to make go up. That's Cause it. Because then audiences will get better instead of getting worse. That's it. All right? Instead of grabbing at air. That's it. That's, it
2: that's why we at Reset Digital signed the contract with you guys because I think it's imperative for people to understand that and to see it and we're trying to bring right. these new of- ideas that not everybody, as you say. Are ready to hear. <laughs> yeah,
0: no reset. It, it you know for reset it sort of completes the transparency idea. There you go. Which yeah. is you know we're going to be transparent about the audience we're giving you, mm-hmm. and we're going to be transparent about the you know all the aspects that that, that, that could go wrong, but especially right. the money. Where's where's the money go? That's really it. all along the supply chain. That's right. And um, right in order to be transparent about that, you have to make you know, some hard choices. Right?
2: Yeah, and get other people to do. And to do it, and, and that's not always easy, but we've managed, so yes. you know, good stuff. So, I always ask the same question of everybody, and I'm really excited to hear your answer just because of your background in music. Um, favorite album of all time, and why?
0: Oh, well, you know, the favorite album is asking a musician that all this tough. <laughs> I'm gonna have to say, a kind of blue. And, uh, which everybody knows, mm-hmm. but everybody knows it because it's just a great piece of music who I've been mm-hmm. listening to lately. I just learned about like silly me. I just kicked myself in the head because I'm like 10 years too late. But <laughs> Esperanza Spalding is an incredible <laughs> freaking musician mm-hmm. and, you know, inspiring to listen to for me. So you to talk to jazz. I yeah. love jazz and I love jazz just because of the humanity, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of the freedoms. It's freedom to fail too, right? Yeah, jazz has to be innovators' music. I guess that's right. That's <laughs> it's, uh, I'm a composer. I used to write for jazz singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, made some BMI royalties in my day, <laughs> but nothing really. Nothing really. Different. Not enough to buy a car. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: speaking. Speak, well, you you've done other things to buy cars. Um, speaking of, of of royalties, maybe now is a good time to tell a little bit about. Things that you're doing, how can people get a hold of you at, at Lucid?
0: And I'm on LinkedIn, so.
2: There you go. I'm
0: a very easy person to find.
2: Ted, Ted McConnell on LinkedIn, recent article and media post, and we'll post something on the ANA website so they can get in touch with you there yeah, as well. That's
0: great. That's so,
1: great. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Charles.
2: Thanks for taking the time, Ted. Yeah, particular, no. particular pleasure and honor.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. Got an idea for an upcoming topic or guest? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures@ana.net. Make sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you want more innovation goodness, head on over to marketingfutures.ana.net.